morning. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of John. And while you're turning there, I'd like to say thank you for being here this morning. I hope that, uh, as we have several visitors in our midst, I hope that you have been, uh, have been welcomed and have realized that you are very much our honored guest. Also, I'd like to take a moment to thank all our mothers that are in the audience. Without you, well, none of us would be here. We, uh, we're certainly thankful for you for many other reasons other than that. I can't help but think on this day uh, some of the lessons my own mother has taught me, my favorite of which, I believe, is that I do have free will in this life. I can do what I want to do, but I have to be willing to accept the consequences of those decisions as well. When I was about, I think, 10 years old, Mom had a curling iron plugged in in the car on her, um, taking my, myself to school, and I wanted to touch that curling iron so bad. And she said, no, you can't touch it. And I said, I really wanted to touch that curling iron. She said, Kyle, quit trying to touch it. And I kept bothering her. She said, Kyle, go ahead and touch it. And I touched it, and I learned that she was right. I shouldn't have touched it. My mom has, has been a huge blessing to me, as I'm sure all of yours have been. And we are very thankful for them this morning. As we have been studying uh, uh, once before, Jesus the Way. In a, in, a, in a previous study, we introduced this theme uh, of Jesus the Way, and, and it comes from the context of John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we talked about this uh, earlier, and we introduced this idea and the, the several things that Jesus is the way to. And this morning, I'd like to concentrate our attention on the subject of Jesus is the way to a better life. And that, is that not the popular goal uh, of our generation, the good life? Now, I, I remember growing up a, a TV show that used to come on called MTV Cribs. Some of you all may have watched that show. It was all about a person's crib, their house, their, the, the luxurious styles that the rich and famous have. Uh, maybe you might remember another show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I can't do the announcer's voice of that. Our good brother, Landon Rudder, who will be here later on this month. You get him to do that. He's got a radio personality voice. But, but we have this ingrained in us to, to strive for the very best, to have these, this dream of, of luxury and, and this extravagant lifestyle. And this dream, it's not new. It's not new. It's, it's something that has been around for every age, and not just every age, but every walk of life. If we look back in time, uh, or even in today, at teachers, at philosophers, at kings and, and dignitaries, common men, we, we all see that everyone uh, has this desire to live this, tr- this good life. But today I want to study and look at what truly is the good life. We see that Jesus is the way to this good life, but I want to look at how He is the way. And the first thing we need to consider is the fact that Jesus corrects our misconceptions on what the good life really is. To many, this good life means things like material prosperity. As I talked about on, on MTV Cribs, I remember watching this when I was a kid, and I remember thinking, well, the good life is having a house with umpteen different rooms, a ball court, an entertainment room that you can watch movies in, a TV in every room, including the bathroom and in the refrigerator. And on top of that, the refrigerator has to be stocked with absolutely everything that I can possibly think of. That was the good life to me at, at a young age. And many people today still strive for this. They strive for, for to have the really nice car, in some instances, the really nice jets, 
Uh, and we just see a, a strive for material possessions. But not just that, we also see a strive for pleasure. How many times have you maybe, maybe even said it yourself, maybe set on a beach somewhere, or set out in the woods in, in a, really, uh, just a really nice place to go, ah, this is the good life. This is it right here, enjoying things that are pleasurable to ourselves. And even, uh, even still at an older age and at a younger age, we can all agree that popularity is going to be a key to what we oftentimes desire to have in the good life. Being the popular one at school, being the popular one in the office, having people really like us, be, be the kind of person that, that when people look at us, they go, I want to be like them or I just want to be around them. Oftentimes, this is how we think. And the reason why is nearly everyone would agree that two words sum up the good life. These two words would be happiness and peace. That's what people really want. When they, when they think of material prosperity and pleasures and, and popularity, they really are thinking, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make it where I can live a peaceable life? I, I, I don't have to strive for anymore. Maybe I don't have to work anymore. I can just sit back and enjoy all these things. That's really what people, when you boil it all down, that's what they're looking for. But even a, a shallow observation of the people that come from these very wealthy, high-living uh, high societies, famous people, when we look at their lives, how often do we find that they are extremely unhappy and extremely lacking inner peace? We see them struggling at times uh, with all the hardships that that life brings with it. And this is how Jesus corrects this, uh, this misconception. If you would look over in Luke, the 12th chapter. In Luke 12 and verse 15, He warns us uh, and taught that life is so much more than just our uh, material possessions. In verse 15 He said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Well, other translations, instead of saying take heed, say be on watch, beware, be on guard. He is stressing the importance that this, this is a dangerous path to walk down. This idea that, that you're going to be happy from the abundance of your life. He said, watch out for that attitude. And in and, and, and warning of this, He gives us an offer. In John 14, He shows us a way that, that, we, can offer, or that we can have peace, which the world will not give us. In John 14 and verse 27... <clears throat> Excuse me. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The same idea is brought up again in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's offering us something that the world can't give us. This peace that He offers isn't a peace that comes arbitrarily through and, and on a short-term basis through the things that we have. There are times when we can look around and, and see, I have peace because maybe all my bills are met for this month. I have peace because I'm not lacking for, for food or for, for some form of happiness that I get through the material things, but that peace is fleeting. That peace doesn't stick around very long. How often do we find maybe in a few months, a week, the very next day, something can happen and all that that we thought we had secured in our life can be taken away. But Jesus says, no, my peace I give you is a peace that is complete and it is a peace that is full. What the world cannot give, Jesus can. Next, let's look at how can He do it. 
What we see is Jesus leads the way to the better life by identifying and removing the real problem. How often in this life do we, do we try to treat the symptoms of a problem? I know Natalie and Eric are in the medical field. They've probably seen this happen before. People want to try and treat the symptoms of what's going on and not get to the core of the problem. Maybe it's, maybe it's their diet. Someone's trying to treat the symptoms of high blood pressure when a lot of that high blood pressure comes from the fact that they eat Big Macs every single day for every meal, breakfast somehow, lunch and dinner. They just are eating an unhealthy lifestyle. That's what Jesus is doing. What is the cause of so much unhappiness? And what deprives us of, of this inner peace? Is it not things like immorality? Is it not things like theft and murder? Covetousness, deceit, envy, pride? These are the kind of things that destroy families. They destroy friendships, even destroy property. But Jesus declares, above all things in Mark 7, that the source... Of of this of all this uh, this inner or this lack of inner peace, the source of this unhappiness lies within our own hearts. <clears throat> In Mark chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty three. For for <clears throat> excuse me. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. And we're thinking, when we, we say, okay, we understand that the root of this problem is sin. How do, we, how do we take care of the real problem? How do we quit treating just the symptoms in our life that cause unhappiness? The things that, and in doing so, trying to gain these material prosperities, pleasures, and popularity. How do we quit trying to treat these symptoms and tackle the real problem, Jesus says the real problem is within you. The real problem lies in your heart. As we studied last week, James 4, James completely agrees with this, uh, with this saying of Jesus. In James 4 and verse 1, <clears throat> uh, verse 1 and 2, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Your lust and or you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and, content, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. What has Jesus done to remove this inner problem, this problem that lies within us? Because Jesus says, we said He leads the way. So how? How is He leading the way to getting rid of this inner problem of sin? We'll find the answer, find the answer to that question in Titus. In Titus chapter 3. If I can get there. Titus is a very small book that we might look over. In Titus chapter 3 and in verses 3 through 7. For we observe, or for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Out of the kindness, love, mercy, and grace, God, through Jesus Christ, He saved us. He looked at that, that sin that was in our inner man and He said, I will, I, I will make a way to take that sin away from you. I will make a way to cleanse your heart and make you righteous in My sight. And this took, uh, took place, this takes place when we experience the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. These words are in reference to the act of baptism. Baptism which one who believes in Jesus is truly born again of water and spirit, as John 3, 5 says. Where that, that sin, that stain that is on our heart is scrubbed clean by the love and mercy and grace of God. But he goes further than that. And just identifying the real problem, he goes on to teach us to seek new goals in our life. In Matthew 6, verse 19, he warned us of the folly of seeking after riches, saying that it was foolish to try and seek after these riches. In verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. He says, Why are you spending your time chasing after these things that are just going to disappear? Why do you? I kind of think of, of, of the boys chasing a bug or a, a butterfly. They put so much effort into catching that bug or butterfly, and a lot of times they catch it like this. Uh-oh. They have spent so much time chasing after the, this, these things that are just going to eventually die or eventually fall apart or going to eventually waste away, be stolen. But instead of focusing our attention on that, he teaches in verse 20 where we should be focusing our treasure. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, focus on the things that are imperishable. Focus on the things that are secure, as 1 Peter 1 talks about. <clears throat> Over in 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, or verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through the faith of salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, you want something to hold on to? You want something to grab a hold of and never let go and something that's going to grab a hold of you and never let go? Think of Jesus. Think of God and His love. Think of going to heaven. That is something that is secure. That is something that is incorruptible. It will never perish. It will never fall apart. So how does one go about doing this? How does one go about laying up for himself a treasure in heaven? We turn back to Luke chapter 6 and look in verses 22 through 23. We see that it is by living for Jesus. Living for Jesus, even under the most adverse circumstances, we are going to continue to live for Jesus. In verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So no matter what people are saying about you, no matter the trials that you're going through, live for the Lord. Live for Jesus. And in verse 35, it goes on saying, follow His teachings, but love your enemies, do good, and lend uh, hope... Excuse me. 
But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He was saying, imitate Christ. What did Christ do for us? He gave His life for us. And what kind of people were we? We were sinners. We were were revilers. We were unthankful. We were unrighteous. We were undeserving. And He gave His life for us. He's saying, make yourself an imitator of Me. I did this for the unthankful and for the evil. And you need to do these same things for the unthankful and for the evil. And you need to follow My teachings. And by doing so, we're going to see that He gives us something that we just don't expect. Once we learn not to make the material things uh, priority in our life, the pleasure and the fame, uh, when we learn to not make these our goal, but instead to make following Jesus, devoting our life uh, to, to His teachings and make His goals our goals, His visions our visions, we see that He provides for us an unexpected portion of the things that, that we beforehand had seeked. In Matthew 6, verse 31, we'll flip back over there, where he had just said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Look now in verse 31. He says, therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. To the people he's talking to, he's just said, don't worry about the things that you're going to have to eat and drink and wear. Don't worry about these things on earth that are going to, or don't be trying to store them up for you. And so you can almost imagine them saying, well then, what are we going to do to survive? He was saying, don't worry about that. And in verse 32, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Saying the material things of this life are going to be given to those who put God first. The same thing is, is said again in Mark 10. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 28. And Peter began to say to him, Shall we have left all and followed you? And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. He's saying, follow after me and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you the things that you need. Does that mean you're going to be on an episode of MTV Cribs with umpteen million rooms and a a TV in the bathroom? No, that's not what that means. That means I'm going to give you everything that that you need in this life. I'm going to take care of you. And if you lose family because you have chosen to follow me, I will bless you with several other families in the the family of Christ. And if your home is destroyed because you followed me, there is someone there that will pick you up and will take you in. I will always watch after you if you will follow after me. And the pleasure that you seek in John 15, we see that that pleasure, the fleeting pleasure that we had seeked for before, if we will seek after Jesus... And again, he will, he will provide. In John 15 and verse 11, we read, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full, as we read earlier. And in 1 Peter 1.8, <clears throat> 1 As we also read earlier, uh, whom, having not seen you, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy in inexpressible and full of glory. 
He was saying this, this joy that, that you seek on this earth, the, the joy and the pleasure of uh, whatever it might be that brings pleasure to your life. He said, there is a joy and a pleasure so much more inexpressible. Words can't define it. The love of Christ. That joy is yours if you will follow after Him. And the fame, the, play, or the, the popularity that we so oftentimes strive after. He says, I'll even give you that. In Colossians 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Christ appears, and and it is going to be a glorious event, you will be with Him in that glory. Not only in Colossians 3, but also 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 through 12. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed, therefore we also pray always for you that our God, will, our God will count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And even one more, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did He call you? So that you might obtain this glory. You might obtain this fame. We, we are going to be blessed with all of these things that we seek after if we will just simply seek after Christ instead. In the very exercise of living for Christ, in the very exercise of following His examples, we will find peace and happiness. In John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 and verse 12 through 17. I don't think I have this one on the slide. We read, So when He had washed their feet, taken their garments, and sat down again, He said to them, Do you know that what I have done to you? You call Me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent him, uh, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now keep that last line in mind. Blessed are them, uh, or blessed are you if you do them. And turn over to Acts chapter twenty. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 35, we read, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said it is more blessed to give than receive. There's one word that ties both of these passages together, and that's blessed. That word blessed means truly happy. It is more There is more happiness that comes out of being a servant for others than to be giving or than to be receiving all the time. If you truly love your brothers and your sisters as Christ loved the church, if you will do the follow the example that He set for them in being a servant, in humbling Himself and and, and looking after their needs the best that you can, there is happiness in that. There is happiness and peace in following after His example. The world sets before us goals that that we cannot achieve for the most part. There are goals set in our lives uh, that we just 
strive so hard for. Coming out of school, it's, it's pushed very hard that you've got to go to college so you can get the right degree, so you can get the right house, and so you can live with the right family. And everything has to fit that American dream that we have made in our life. And there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to or striving to live a life that is peaceable. But when we take that and we make that the goal for our life, and we take that and say, this is what we're going to do at all costs. Well, we set a goal that we just simply can't satisfy. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, <clears throat> when Solomon, the, one of the wisest men to ever live, set out to just try everything, we see something that he learned in, in his trials of, of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase, this also is vanity. What he learned in gathering up all the, uh, so many treasures of the world and all this knowledge and all the women and everything that, that people oftentimes equate with happiness, he learned is you're never going to be happy. There's never going to be enough. There's always going to be a house bigger and with more rooms. There's always going to be a place prettier than yours. There's always going to be a someone, the Joneses, that you're trying to keep up with. You're never going to be satisfied with the goals that man sets. But Jesus places before us goals that we can be achieved, or that can be achieved and that can satisfy. All can store up treasures in heaven. There are only so many people that can store up treasures on this earth, but all can store up treasures in heaven. All can live for Jesus. If there is any doubt that doing this brings lasting happiness and brings a much better life even now, then look at those that you know in your life that are truly doing it. Look at someone who is on their deathbed and is in great pain, or someone that's living in poverty, but someone who has followed Jesus their whole life or has spent a great deal of time in, in service to Jesus. They might outwardly look like they're suffering severely, but when you, get to, when you see them on their inside, they are so full of joy. They're full of peace. You see it a lot of times in, in someone who has is, is, uh, been a member of the church and getting ready to pass away, and they can just say over and over again, I can't wait to go home. When we start to really realize that this world is not my home, but there is something far greater waiting for me on the other side, that's when we realize that there is a way to a better life. There is a way to happiness. There is a way to peace. And that way is Jesus. If you are not happy today, if you are not at peace in your heart, if, if you are looking for that better life, realize that Jesus is this way for you. Let Him take care of the problem of sin in your life, which ultimately is that true cause of unhappiness. Let Him be your guide in giving new direction in this life. Let Him be your key to the door to the good life. As Jesus said in, in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus offers this life. Have you taken Him up on that offer? Have you taken the opportunities that have been presented to you to become a child of God? To start following after Him? To start seeking or saving up for yourself a treasure that is in heaven. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing number 284. What will your answer be? In the first line of this song, Someday you'll stand at the bar on high, 
Someday your record you'll see. Someday you'll answer the question of life. What will that answer be? Think about these things as we can come forward if you need to as we stand and sing.